Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Midweek Mailbag. We are back with another week of questions here live on twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit every Wednesday afternoon. My name is Jeremy Reisman. You can, uh, I'm the, the producer at Pride of Detroit. You can find me at Pride of Detroit on Twitter. <laughs> uh, with me, as always, is the managing editor of Pride of Detroit, is Eric Schlitt on Twitter. Eric Schlitt is here. How are we doing, man? I'm doing good, surprisingly. Yeah. Fun-filled Fourth of July took a uh, took a lot out of me. Sure, but um, I managed to wake up and do my dad duties, and uh, we're ready to go with the our midweek mailbag. Uh, are you? Uh, how are you doing? You look I'm, a little bit more tired than normal. I'm uh, I'm I'm a little tired. I I had to <laughs> I had to do this entire trek to to go to my. The, the fourth of july party i was at you probably yeah. didn't know much about it mm-hmm. um but uh but you know <laughs> side note my daughter georgia my uh-huh. youngest two-year-old woke up this morning and was like where's jeremy where's jeremy <laughs> so uh she was looking for you this morning uh she oh, had lots of fun that's very with cute. you entertaining her that's right um and you know look i'm not one to in, imbibe very often so yeah I'm, I'm dragging a little bit my, my voice might be a little deeper than it normally is all that sort of fun stuff but uh we're here to answer we're here to talk lines questions not uh give our our whole life backstory here so uh let's um if you do want to submit questions for our midweek mailbag of this podcast you can always send us tweets at uh pride of detroit use the hashtag ask pod if you want or you can join us live here on twitch we are going to start though with twitter uh free jmo at bossy furball eight asks is it a concern that jared goff needs everything perfect around him to perform like we saw last year if we want to give him a big extension i think it's risky to assume the roster will always be perfect around him for him to win the big games and he calls it kirk cousin syndrome uh go ahead you you, you were about to get into it Let, what, do, what do you got to say about that eric I just, I just think it's a bit overblown, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think Jared Goff definitely does better when things are perfect around him, but that's that's every quarterback. Sure. Um, outside of, like, five quarterbacks in the NFL who right. can basically just create regardless. Um, this It's a common – that's a common trait, like, that you need players, you need skill players that – uh, can make themselves available and then you need quarterbacks that can you know execute the game plan and you know they were missing a starting guard all year uh swift was hurt the receiver crew was in and out uh on, on their availability so while i do think there is some merit to the fact that he does he works better in certain situations I think any given team with a good offensive coordinator is going to 
recognize that about their players and then put those players in position to succeed. So I think it's a little overblown, even though I understand that, you know, there are certain guys that he works better with. And then there's guys that he just, you know, he doesn't. And that, and that, but that's fine. They've, they built a roster to, to work with him and they built the, the scheme to work with him and it's working. And so it's hard to argue against it. And I understand the trepidation, but at the same time, I think it's a bit overblown. Well, yeah. And and I think you always want to tailor your roster to your quarterback, right? Like that's, he's the guy that you build around. And so the fact that the Lions are doing that isn't a, a demarcation on, on Jared Goff's record. It's, it's them recognizing that he's their center. He's their centerpiece. They want to do what he does well and build an offense around that. And that, that's just that's being a a a good offensive coordinator. That is good being a good head coach, a good general manager. That's all those guys working together. The crazy thing is, is you are absolutely right. We just haven't seen it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, right. like this is what good teams do, right? And so, like, I feel like as a as a fan base, we're still getting used to yeah. this fact that. These are things. This isn't like the Lions doing something out of the ordinary. This is the Lions doing things that winning teams do. Right. Right. And, yeah. and I just think we haven't seen that in the past because it's been like, I've got to get players to play Patricia's scheme and I've got to get right. guys that, you know what I mean? Like, and then salary cap is a big thing for Martin Me. I mean, like, there's always these obstacles, but this is. This is what good how you do. do. <laughs> right. But I, I do want to like get at the, I think the bigger question here, which is like, it's like that whole idea of quarterback purgatory, right? It's like, yeah. unless you have one of the guys, you just have like the second or third tier of quarterbacks that, sure. that are going to cost you a lot of money and probably won't win you the big games. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, I think we need to give Jared Goff a little bit more time to prove that he's not, maybe not like elite elite, like, He's not. He doesn't have the flashy playmaking abilities of of you know Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Certainly. all those those you know those top tier guys. But I think I think where this narrative like that he needs everything perfect around him goes from the first two years, which is year one where he had no one around him and mm-hmm. was in a new system and in in an offense that was still trying to find its own identity. Last year there was a stretch of period where there was a couple guys injured and he was really bad during that time. But that that stretch also happened to be at the very beginning of the year where again, new offensive coordinator, new system. Let's give him a full year of like, of, of now you're, you're comfortable in the system. Now you, you, you have an identity. Now maybe you have the confidence. This, these first six games, you're not going to have a J you're not going to have JMO PFF thinks you have the 10th worst receiving core in the league. Well, that's not perfect for a quarterback. Let's see how he does in the first (laughs) six games. The other thing is at the beginning of last year, um, what often gets overlooked is they scored 45 points in a game and lost. Like, sure. it's not like he couldn't have done better in that game. Like, he was great in Seattle, like, sure. in that game, but they still lost. Yeah. And so, as the quarterback, as the centerpiece, that that loss gets put on him a lot of times, and fairly or not. We right? call that Matthew does. Stafford syndrome. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, like, I thought his stretch – even though the team lost, you know, seven games in a row or whatever it was, right? Yeah. Collectively over the first whatever. He get he was only bad in like three or four of those games. You know what I mean? Or maybe even less. Like, I, I don't think he was – I don't think he was bad against Philly or Washington or, or, or Seattle. Like, he was bad against the Patriots. That was his worst game. I mean, sure. I, no one's going to argue that. Right. But, like, overall, I thought he was okay. And, and the thing with this roster now is I think this roster is built – 
to sustain him having a bad game yeah. and still win. Right. That's that's what's exciting about where they're headed. I'll, I'll be honest. Like, I don't know if it was the athletic piece where Zach Taylor was coming to bat for for Jared Goff or or what, but like, I'm actually starting to buy stock in Jared Goff. Like, seriously, buy stock in like he he's he's got everything unlocked. They're putting more on his plate. He's becoming a more complete quarterback before the snap, which is key yeah. to what happens after the snap. Yeah. I've made the comparison a couple times. So like that's what made Tom Brady a really, really good quarterback is how much he could diagnose before the snap. Now Jared Goff is getting the opportunity to showcase those skills. And I think he's a smarter quarterback than a lot of people give him credit for. Am I saying he's Tom Brady smart? Let's pump the brakes there. But, <laughs> but, but obviously like if this is something he's good at, which I do think is something that he's good at, which is diagnosis, which is being smart um, and, and, and knowing what you do well, knowing what the defense will, will come at you. Like that's an opportunity for him to grow and get better as a quarterback now. And, and mm-hmm. I think I, I know, I know I, I, the thing that I hate that, that people say about Jared Goff is, Oh, we know who Jared Goff is. Oh, we know like, no, he's an evolving quarterback. Still, he's still 27, 28, whatever it is. Like give him mm-hmm. an opportunity to grow with a new offense. Like, and that's so important too, right? It's it's the combination of offensive coordinator and and, and quarterback, and 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 I get where yeah. some of the consternation now comes, like okay, but how long is sure. Johnson going to be around? And that's that's a fair argument to have, and I think that's fair with a lot of quarterbacks. Like if if you separate a quarterback from an offensive coordinator that he's really clicking with, yeah, there could certainly be some regression that happens after that. But thing as things are right now, I think Lions should probably be pretty darn confident in Jared Goff and Ben Johnson together. Yeah, I think, I mean, Ben makes the job easier, right? Sure. Like that's, that's, that's really, you know, that's really what Ben Johnson does. That's, <laughs> right. it's just make everything smooth for Jared, play to his strengths. And then that, and then that trickles down, right? Sure. And he does that with all, with, it's not just golf that he's doing this for. He's doing this for all the guys, right? Like it's, if, if, if Amon Ra played, if they had had to play him at the X, he wouldn't do as well as he does in the slot, right? Like if they put him in a spot where he can best succeed and it's the same thing with cough, they're putting players around him that work with his skill set. They're putting a scheme around him that works with this skill set. It's, it's no different than just putting a different, one of the skill players in a spot where they best succeed. Yep. It, it's funny too. Cause like, you mentioned Amon Ra. He's a guy who directly saw a benefit after they changed offensive coordinators midseason, right? Like oh, yeah. he, had, he had that ridiculous stretch in his rookie season that happened after they Ben Johnson. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, speaking, I'm, I'm going to move on here because yes. um, I'm sure people get sick of golf talk all the time. Uh, <laughs> Cody uh, at Comrade Cody on Twitter uh says uh Mar- between Marvin Jones, Josh Reynolds and Khalif Raymond, who do you expect to have the most production this year? Hmm. I think it would be between Reynolds and Raymond. And I think Reynolds is going to get the larger opportunity. Yeah. And so for me, I would say Josh Reynolds would have the larger uh amount of productivity even though I think Raymond's productivity was better last year if i'm not sure. mistaken right um because he's a gadget guy he's he's he, right. he's he's he can be a big play hitter he he's, he can contribute down special teams and and so he has a larger impact on the on the game as a whole but reynolds is the safety blanket 
for Jared Goff. Reynolds is the guy who's probably going to start the entire season, regardless of the other wide receivers that are on the field. Right. And he's going to get volume and they're, they're, they're going to put him at the X. And even though it's probably not his best skill or not as, you know, featuring his best skill sets, he's still capable of doing that at a better level, at a higher level than some of the other ones. So I'm going to go with Josh Reynolds. Yeah. Uh, and, and, to, just to go back to last year's numbers, Khalif Raymond had 48 catches, 576 yards, four touchdowns. Josh Reynolds only had 19 catches for 306 yards, but only played in seven games. Right. Um, if you go by yards per game, Josh Reynolds had 43.7. Khalif uh, Raymond had 36.0. So on a per game basis, Josh Reynolds was the preferred target. Um, and I'm with you 100%. I think that's, like you said, he's going to start. Like once JMO comes back, he's still in the starting lineup which you can't say for either the the other two guys. Right. Um, what the, the interesting thing I think about this whole thing though, is Marvin Jones. Um, mm-hmm. How big of a, how, how big of a piece of the puzzle will he be early on when JMO has gone? And then what changes, where does he go after JMO is back? Is he, does he become like a, a 15 snap guy then? Um, which seems like a tough, tough duties for a guy that, you know, they're going to love. Like he's going to have sure. the work ethic, of of anyone else they could possibly want in that room, but he is 33. Um, yep. I, I think maybe a lot of that depends on how much chemistry he has with Jared Goff in those first six games, because I think, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I I'm probably guilty of this, but I, I look at Marvin Jones. I'm like, meh, like, I, I don't, I don't think he's going to be that big of a part of the offense, but then part of me wonders like, because he's such a good teammate, because he's such a hard worker, because I'm sure he's out there in, in, in California doing all he can with Jared Goff this off season. Um, maybe, maybe he will have a, a bigger impact than I think is, do you, do you think there's a chance some people, maybe myself included, are are kind of undervaluing the addition of Marvin Jones and how much he'll play into? Cause I mean, he's not going to have DJ Chark numbers, at least on a per game basis. Right. Mm, no. No, I I think that the the offense is going to be uh, focused at least at the wide receiver position on on Reynolds and Amon Ra, yeah, and then Marvin and Khalif are going to be fighting for third uh, opportunities, and it's going to be different. Uh, one of them is going to have a better situation one week versus the other. But when JMO comes back, I think JMO supersedes both those guys, right? right? As much as they like Marvin as a person. And as great as he's going to be as a leader in that locker room, this organization has shown no matter how much they like you, if you aren't at that level that they need you to be, they won't play you. Look no further than Michael Brockers. Exactly. Michael Brockers was one of their favorite. They like Michael Brockers more than they liked Anzalone. And we talk all the time about how much they like Anzalone. Right. But Brockers was an inactive every single week because he they liked what he did off the field more than they liked what he did on the field. And I think Marvin falls into that same boat. If he can produce, he's going to get opportunities. If not, we might see Khalif Raymond as wide receiver three and Marvin at four, even though he's going to be that he's he's an ideal Y and or a Z, I mean, and you can get him to stretch defenses, which is part of what is going to make the offense work. He could be like the sixth choice in the in the pecking order when you start talking about targets right when yeah. you start adding in gibbs and and you start adding in montgomery and laporta and right i mean like it's he's i don't know how high up he's gonna be that's that's a really really good point about brockers and i think that's a great parallel the 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 only thing 
I, I have to add about Marvin is I wonder, considering, you know, he he was never considered a great separator, right, in terms of getting separation in his routes. Um, and, and maybe that's why someone like Khalif Raymond, who, who according to PFF, is the greatest one ever um, in terms of separator. Uh, right. Is there a chance that Ben Johnson unlocks a little bit of, of that? Because separation, while obviously mostly a wide receiver set, is also highly dependent on your scheme and how much you can mm-hmm. trick the opposing defense. Um, I wonder if there's something in there that Marvin Jones, that, 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 that Ben Johnson and uh, Jared Goff can, can maybe unlock there. I know he's 33 oh, no. teaching old yeah, dog, I, you know, new tricks type of thing, but. And, and, and Ben, I mean, he's, he, this is how he's played his whole career too. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's just to try and find a new, uh, nuanced level of play, right. especially when most of the time he's running verticals or deep crossers. Right. It's, Which is it's, harder it's, to get more, ha- it's hard to get separation 100%. on those rather than yes. something like Amon Ra, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yep. Raymond, uh, Raymond, we talked about this last week. Raymond gets his separation early and not as much late. Right. Amon Ra gets it at different different levels. But like your Josh Reynolds and your uh, and your Marvins are, are they're late separators if yep. they separate at all. Josh is a little bit better at it. I don't know how he gets that wiggle a little bit later. Uh, but Marvin is the best contested catch guy that they have as well. Sure. So it's just a matter of, I think we saw golf challenge more down the yeah. stretch as he got comfortable. How quick will he get comfortable with Marvin to be able to utilize that contested yeah. catch? That'll be, that'll be something we'll have to keep an eye on. hundred percent. All right, let's move from players to coaching staff. A couple of interesting questions here from Jeremy Giardi that I'm going to combine into one question. He's, he asks, uh, how do you develop coaches if you're a head coach, if a potential coordinator or one day aspiring, if you have a potential coordinator or one day aspiring head coach on your staff, what does it mean to put more on his plate? And then asks, and then says, uh, Mike Lombardi said on his daily show recently, he believes Campbell gets mentored by Bill Parcells. And he contrasted that with Jets uh, coach Robert Sala. He should have a mentor. How active do you think Campbell is or the staff is in self-improvement this offseason? So one, how do you develop your coaching staff by putting more on their plate and what does putting more on their plate mean? Two, how is this staff uh, in, in terms of self-improvement overall? Well, I think Shep's the uh, the biggest guy that jumps out to me, right? Because they've talked about the fact that they're putting yep. more on Shep's plate. And so yep. what that means is it could mean a variety of things. It could mean he's involved more in the defensive game planning. Mm-hmm. It could mean he's involved more in scouting the opponent. Uh, like he might be scouting certain positions of the upcoming opponent that maybe because last year he might've just been like, this is, this is the linebackers. I'm trying to train the linebackers and I'm trying to teach the linebackers what they knew in, in, in their given set. Now he's, he might be expanding beyond that and doing some scouting, some pre-scouting of of uh, of the opponent. Um, it could mean that because Shep has experience working with um, edge players in his first year in Detroit, he may be uh, sitting in with David Carraro, who's now coaching that position, and he may be trying to offer advice to Carraro, who we've talked about before, has been in there for a, the league for a while, yep. but like as a position coach, this is really his like kind of first actual you know, role as a position coach, even though he's been doing collective things you know, behind the scenes. So um, it could be a, a variety of different things. And, and that applies to all the coaches. But I think Shep's the one that stands out the most as a guy that they are internally developing for a larger position down the road. And he's going to be a defensive coordinator. And then he's probably going to be a head coach someday, too. I mean, he has that right. it factor we talk about all the time. Yeah. And, and it's worth pointing out, like, 
his ascent already, right? He starts out as sure. an outside linebackers coach in his first year, which is a position he Slitting didn't. Splitting duties, right? right? Yeah, essentially. And then they're like, you know what? No, you're just the linebackers coach last right. year. And now it's even more, which I think probably involves all the things you said, including, I think, being involved in that kind of edge group as well. Because he's, he, I mean, he talks about how much cross training there is there and, and how much and in, how involved he is there. And it'd be interesting to think like maybe he's also helping coach up Correo, right? Like yeah. being kind of that that soundboard option to to learn uh more of. Um in terms of the the self-improvement part of this question, I don't think I've heard a coaching staff say more how how important that is to their jobs. Like Dan Campbell has, has talked about it several times like I'm I'm far from a, a perfect head coach. I need to get better at my game time decisions. Mm-hmm. I need to and, and and Ben Johnson too is always talking about self-scouting and and how that is one of the most important things I think any coach does, any coordinator does during this time, during the off season, where you have that extra time, you're not game planning on it. You're, you're self scouting. You're looking at your own tendencies. That's another specific thing he's mentioned is like, I'm third and ones. How, how often am I running in this, you know, in this uh, format, in this alignment, how often am I, you know, running a bootleg, you know, think mm-hmm. all, all that sort of stuff. And they have data, data analysts to, to have, give them all of that information. But yeah, um, yeah, this is when they have the opportunity to really break all that information down and and change habits and and change tendencies. And so I think that it's a it's a huge part of what you do as as a coach. And we talk all about all the time about all the offseason training that the players do. Uh this is kind of a critical time for that for for the coaches too to make sure that they're doing all those stuff to make sure that they aren't because if you're not if you're not moving forward, if you're standing still, you're you're falling behind. You know, and I think they do it in season two. And we see that, especially with Aaron Glenn, Mm -hmm. because Aaron Glenn is he has done drastic changes to his defensive approach in each of the last two seasons because he said this isn't working. We have to do something dramatically different and get back to some stuff. And and that's 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 comes from self-scouting. Right. And. So, yeah, they most of it happens in the offseason. Most of it happens, you know, um, at the end of the season, right? But um, yeah, it's it's a massive part of uh, of the coaching staff that I don't think we've heard. Like you said, we haven't heard a lot of other lines coaches talk as much about uh, in previous years. It, that the whole like improving in the middle of the season thing kind of it, it made me think of an interesting parallel. And it's not easy to do, obviously, in the middle of the season. Like changing big tendencies is is a huge yeah. overhaul. And the Lions yes. have really done it on both sides of the season in year one <laughs> and in two, year two of Dan Campbell. But it's also this idea of like, you know, making adjustments at halftime, right? Um, sure. Everyone says like, oh, well, let's let's see how they come out of, of halftime. Well, the good coaches don't wait until halftime, right? The good coaches <laughs> are like, why would like if something's not working in the first quarter and we're getting our asses kicked? Why wait? Like, start changing now. Right. Don't wait till halftime. Again, it's harder to do on the fly because you come yeah. in with a game plan, and if you have to throw it in, in the tray, I mean, you want to hold on to it as long as you can. But if you're if you're falling behind three scores, you can't hold on to it. And that's something I think an area of maybe improvement of Aaron Glenn, right? Like, mm-hmm. a lot of people point to the Carolina game. They didn't <laughs> they didn't make any adjustments, and then they come back yeah. next week and look a lot better. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, like good coaches adjust on the fly. It's not easy to do. But they understand that they know how to do it, and and it's all about communication, right? And that's one thing that I think this coaching staff uh, has in 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 spades is is the ability to communicate, and and the ones that haven't been able to communicate well are no longer here. Well, that's that's where I was going to go go to next and say, 
it's not easy to make these adjustments. And we saw last year when the defense made adjustments, Pleasant wasn't reacting fast enough. Anamania Warrior wasn't re- re- reacting fast enough. And like though, and Pleasant ended up getting fired and Amani found the bench. And it's because it's not easy, but to their credit, they make they are not scared of making difficult decisions. All right, we're going to take a break here. Uh, when we come back, more of your Lions questions, including one about conspiracy theories, Eric. You're going to have oh, to cool. give me your best Lions conspiracy theory. But we're going to take a break here when we come back. All those and more here on the Midweek Mailbag. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we are back here on the Midweek Mailbag. Myself and Eric Schlitt answering your lines. Questions here live on twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit every Wednesday afternoon. Let's get back into it. I teased it at the end of the last segment. Uh, our friend between the numbers on Twitter asks, what is your Lions future conspiracy theory? Uh, and they offer their own here that if you if we want, we can discuss. He says the Lions intend on trading golf to wherever Ben Johnson lands in, in 2024, given golf and, and Johnson's chemistry. In turn, Tanner Angstrom's focus role on the offensive coordinator, Eric Parent, and to build a similar chemistry with Hendon Hooker. Uh, first. Let's talk about our own conspiracy theories. And if you want to address that, we can. Do you have one off the top of your head here? No, no. Do you have one? I if do. you do, I'd like you to go first. My my conspiracy theory, and I'm not the first person to throw this out into the universe, uh, but it's one that I've latched onto and really want to believe to be true, which is the Lions will trade for Aaron Donald at the at the trade deadline this year. Oh, wow. Because obviously there's there's the LA connection with GMs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh I would think by that time we've probably established that the, the the Rams are not going to be a contender. They could always surprise. They, they have Matthew Stafford, but considering they're in a, in a division with the Seahawks and the 49ers, I think things are going to look pretty bad by then. And we, we all know the Lions would benefit from having Aaron Donald. We all know that the Lions attempted to trade for Aaron Donald at one point. This might be the, the time where, where the Rams are like, all right, we're, we're, we're starting to embrace this rebuild already at that point. 2023 is a wash. Lions are going to go get him. And and by that point, one. too, like the Lions will, 
if if things have gone right for the Lions, they they're suddenly like, okay, we're not even looking just for the division at this point. We're we're seven and two or whatever. We need that extra push to like make us a true Super Bowl contender. Aaron Donald, boom. Good. I don't have one. I wish I, I kind of wish I did. I don't have a good clean one. Um, can we put a pin in this one and yeah. revisit it next week? Sure. Because give me a chance to think about it a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, Cause I'll, it's a I'll, fun question, especially for the Ryan, off season. I'll, I'll get Ryan to let you borrow his tinfoil hat for a while. <laughs> um, do you, do, okay. But do you want to, let's talk really quickly about the, the trading golf to Ben, wherever Ben Johnson goes next year and, and Hendon hooker uh, being the future quarterback. I, I, I like the idea. Um, I think maybe that also maximizes your value of a potential Jared Goff trade. Um, I absolutely don't think that's what they're doing. No, I think they love Jared Goff. Uh, yeah, rightfully or wrongfully, and I think I think when when you you've seen Dan Campbell talk about Hendon Hooker, the, the few times he has talked about him, and I think he's being legitimate when he says like we don't know what we have in him. Like we we're we're eager to find out, but that. That, that's a long road from here, right? Like, that's what he said. It's like, it's going to be a while before we figure out who we have in Hendon Hooker. And right. And and trading Jared Goff next offseason, to me, would be incredibly risky because you won't know by then who you have in Hendon Hooker because he won't have played a single game for you by then, preseason or not. Um, so I, I like the idea. It I think in an ideal world, if that transition works like that, like that would be perfect, right? Like, you're starting a new, you know, offensive coordinator, quarterback, uh, chemistry with with you know Tanner and 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 Hendon. You're getting rid of an expensive quarterback contract right before you're going to have to give him an extension. All of that would be a wonderful timeline if it all worked, but it would be way too risky, I think, to make that move and not something that I think the Lions are willing to do. I, I also don't know if Ben Johnson would do it. You know what I mean? Like, I think if Ben Johnson is going to take a head coaching job somewhere, he might want like the brand new shiny quarterback from college, like most head coaches do. Right. right. Um, I don't know if he'd want to trade for a 29 year old, especially if he's not calling plays, unless he's going to Andy Reid his new team. <laughs> right. Then, yeah, like, right. then I, then I'd get it. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if that would happen. Maybe. I mean, I think I think he'd be okay with that. Bring in a quarterback be, he's already comfortable with and kind of hit the ground running in his new home. Well, I think it's better to just continue to double his salary and keep him here. <laughs> <laughs> I I agree there. Uh, make him the highest paid offensive coordinator of all time if he's not that already. He might Would, be. He might be <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, let's. We're only three weeks away from training camp here, so our next question comes from Robo twelve oh seven, who asks Jeremy and Eric, "Who are you? Who are you guys most excited to see at training camp? Give me a rookie and a veteran." For the rookie, it's it's Gibbs. Yeah, like um, there's. I want to see all of them, and I'm going to be watching all of them, of course. But like, you know, with a little extra fine tuning because I want to learn about them. But like. Gibbs is really the electric guy, right? And there's a reason he was picked to where he was. Like they, I want to see how they're going to use him. I want to see how he, uh, how efficient he is. I want to see his 
I want to see more of his burst in pads and and just the speed was it was incredibly fun to watch when he was at Bama. And so there's just so many little nuances. Now I want to see what can he do behind a line? What can he do when it's full contact? And all of those things intrigue me because if he can exceed those expectations, uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I uh, so you take the rookie and then we'll go back to yeah yeah I I'm not I'm not I'm I can't say I'm not excited to to see Jameer Gibbs but I feel like I already know what Jameer Gibbs is and what they're mm. going to do with him so okay. I think I think my answer is Jack Campbell and and maybe even Broderick Martin here because those are the two that I like I don't I don't want to call them head scratchers but are ones that I'm like okay, you, you have to sell me on this pick. You yourself, Jack Campbell, you yourself, Broderick Martin, have to sell me on these picks. Show me what it is that's your superpower. Show it is. Show me what it is that that, that made you a first-round pick, that made you a third-round pick. Um, because I understand it with Jameer Gibbs. As much as I don't like drafting a, a running back that high, I get it. Um, and, and now with the pads on, like, we'll, we'll get an opportunity to see those guys more than we did in, in OTAs because I mean, we got, we got it. We got a nice little taste of Jameer Gibbs. Not, not as much as we wanted with the injury and stuff, but we, we got a taste. Mm-hmm. I need to, I need to see what Jack camp, like what Jack Campbell is capable of here. Like last training camp, Malcolm Rodriguez was not a su- surprise anymore by the end of training camp, right? He popped. Well, by the end of the first week. Yeah. Right. 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 And that's, that's what I'm hoping to see out of Jack Campbell. It's going to look a little different because he's not, the, he doesn't play the same way that Malcolm Rodriguez does, but I, I want to see that pop. That's, that's what I'm eager to see is this guy that's mm-hmm. making it clear. He is capable of a starting position right away. And, and Broderick Martin is a guy who's not going to start right away, but I want to see. And, and may, and it, with Broderick, it's probably, you're probably not going to see it right away. Right. He's a guy that maybe has a longer developmental curve, but at the same time, I'm I'm hoping to see something out of that kid early um, to to kind of get me excited about the pick because, like I said, those those two picks I think I need to be sold on the most. With the veterans, do you think you have just one guy? Because I have like <laughs> one guy on offense, but then like six guys on defense. You know what I mean? Yeah, the defense is is still very fascinating, and they were very fun to watch during OTAs and minicamp um, right. already. And so yeah, and it's mostly new additions and stuff right. too. It's like right. what so is yeah. what is the change? Mm-hmm. Um, Give me your offense one first, and then we'll we'll just talk about defense. Vitae, I want to okay. see. You know, if, I want to see where he is, and I want to yeah. see because, uh, like, if he can be the bulldozer that we expect him to be, mm-hmm. this line takes another step. Right, and I love watching the line, but I know what the four starters are. All I know four right. of them. Like I got them, I got them down in order. Weaknesses, I know. I mean, like I know where they went. I want to see can Vitae be the missing piece that this team has lacked that can really take it to the next level? Because you're sitting in between two Pro Bowlers on either side of you. Give me some power, and uh, you know let that run game loose. And uh, that's what I want to say. I want to see, is he back or is it just going to be another uh, year yeah. of trying to find a race, uh, a rotating, you know, player. That's a, that's a really good answer. And and maybe one that I probably should have picked. Uh, I think, I think I'd probably go with David Montgomery. Um, yeah. You know, he's got, he's got a lot to live up to. Um, he, he's got big shoes to fill with Jamal Williams, both in the locker room, which, you know, he's not going to be a one-to-one fit there. He's not going to lead in the same way that, that Jamal did, but statistically, he also has a very high bar, right? Like he has to get 
a thousand yards and you know double digit touchdowns or yeah people are going to look at that move and be like maybe they should have shown us the money for jamal um right maybe not fair to him but I want to see how he runs. And again, like we're not getting a lot of live tackling during training camp. So we're not going to get a full view of what he does, but mm-hmm. he, I, I think he's a guy that maybe has a little bit better vision than a lot of people give him credit for. Um, and I want to see how, you know, the, the big question with him is like, what does he look like with a better offensive line? Well, we'll start to get a little bit of those answers in training camp. So he's my answer on offense. Uh, again, I think there's like six guys. Well, you ran off a few then. But I'm just I'm gonna name my top guy, okay. It, it, I, which is I don't know, it's it's like top guy, and then the next guy's like right there. Yeah. Um, but it's it's got it's got to be Garner Johnson for me mm-hmm. because it's not just what I want to see about him on the field. It's what I want to see how he impacts other people. I want to see how his energy is infectious. I want to see what he's doing when he's on the sideline, right? Like so, Garner Johnson's going to have my attention because of those extra intangibles, right? Like I want to see what Mosley is on the field, maybe more than more, maybe more than anyone. Yeah. Right. Maybe more than anyone. I want to see what he can do on the field, but Gardner Johnson has, I want to see him everywhere. I want to see everything that he's doing. And that's probably why he's number one for me. You want to talk about Mosley? Yeah. And, and if you haven't already scroll back in our podcast feed and go back to our our post free agency conversation with Matt Mayoko, the the 49ers beat writer, ever since I've had that conversation with him, I'm fascinated by Emmanuel Mosley because he is a guy that like the way it sounded in San Francisco, he was on his way to being CB one lockdown territory kind of guy. And if, if the Lions got that for whatever it was, six million a year, eight million a year, like you're talking about a guy who, who might earn more than than uh, Cameron Sutton did this offseason. Like he may get a bigger contract than that if he rebounds and and is and, and a lot. I think one of the buckets here with with the defensive players, the defensive veteran guys is guys coming back from injury. I think mm-hmm. I think you could very much put Tracy Walker in this category, someone I'm yep. very eager to see, too, because yep. while he looks like he's running 100 percent. We all know that first year after a major injury like that is usually not your best year. So I want to see yeah. like while he physically might be there, is that translating to actual good play? Um, that's not not something that we got to see during minicamp and OTAs. It seems like he's going to be a full go once training camp starts. I mean, you, you can throw a couple other guys like Charles Harris yeah. in that category as well. Will Will Kirby take another step? Romeo, like, will he have his year two step that he's right. that everyone expects him to? If he does. Where does that, what does that look like? Right. Right. Like, and, and same thing with Hutchinson. Hutchinson. Same thing with Pascal. Can Pascal jump? Aleem. Kaminsky, like, Aleem I mean, like, a year three Aleem? jump, right? Aleem was, right. Well, was maybe second my year second. Is a three technique, right? Yeah. yeah. Aleem is kind of my, my second big answer here, too, because last year we were expecting that year two jump. It didn't quite happen until kind of towards the end of last season where we saw flashes, not the consistency, but we've already started to hear some of that offseason, like it's the best shape of his life stories and, and and that sort of stuff. And and he's he's taken a different mentality to what it means to be an NFL professional. OK, what does that look like on the field? Does that translate to more quarterback pressures? Does that translate to more TFLs? Does it translate to a better run defense than we had most of all last season? Um, he could be a, a major part to why. I mean, we, we focus on the secondary, right? And and all the changes yeah. that they are going to make to hopefully make this a much better defense. I think Aleem McNeil alone has a chance to transform the front seven of this defense in a huge way. If he reaches some of the potential that I think the Lions thought they had in him when they drafted it. Mm-hmm. All right. There's your mini training camp preview. 
Um, let's move on to uh, our, we'll we'll make it our final question here of the show. Um, I forgot who asked this here on on Twitch. My apologies, um, but I thought it was a good question. He says, uh, "I'm on Ross St. Brown. Wants to add a vertical element to his game. Do you think his skill set allows him to do that? Who might be coaching him up for that role?" Well, I mean, it starts with it starts with Randall L, right? Because that's going to be you know. Randall L is the one that's going to be orchestrating that that transition, but then you also have a guy like Marvin who's going to be able to give him tips, which is already happening, right? Yeah. Like yep. Amon Ross already asking Marvin questions. Marvin's already giving him tips on how to be a, a better pro, and so Marvin is can be that vertical threat. So there's a natural uh source of information to get out of marvin uh but you know can amon ra does he have the skill set to do it uh, i i don't think there's any real limitations that i'm going to put on amon ra like i don't think it's necessarily his best use because right. of how he gets how he gets his separations uh he's much better working him at all different angles and depths and and, and whatnot but like if you're talking about like him running overarching 15 yard, you know, uh, you know, ends or something like that, where like that we consider that like vertical where you try and you're trying to get him open. Great. Do you think, do I think that they're going to use him like they used Khalif Raymond in week 18 or how they plan on using Jamie? I don't think that makes as much sense right. um, because that's not how he wins best. So I do think it's in his range. And I think it's an important thing to have as a weapon, as an alternative, but I don't think it's necessarily going to be like uh, you're sending him deep like five, ten times a game. Right. And that, yeah, that's what he's going to, if he's going to be a deep threat, it's going to be in a much different way than your typical X receivers are right he's not going to be running mm. a bunch of nines he's not going to be running deep posts what he's going to be doing and and um Antoine Rundle even kind of teased this they are going to utilize him in ways that look like the exact same way they were using him last year which is the short intermediate stuff and then he's mm. got it's, it's the double moves right it's it's the trickeration sure. a little sure. bit that, that they're going to use Amara St. Brown tendencies from last year's to trick defenders and so we we I, there was one play that we saw during OTAs in which that's what they did. It was kind of a double route, double move type of route, wide open, scored a touchdown. Like that's mm-hmm. what's going to work. And the only way that works is if you have an offensive line that can block for a long time. And guess what the Lions have? <laughs> and so, like you, I don't think you're going to see a a huge transformation in how Amon Ross St. Brown plays the game. The Lions just may tailor a little bit more deep threat plays to him because like like he's not going to win just running a straight line he's not going mm-hmm. to win contested catches because he's shorter mm-hmm. so this is the way you do it this is the way you make him a deeper threat is is a little bit of trickeration and, and still doing what you, like here's the thing if Amon Ra gets a 40 yard gain it doesn't matter if if all of that comes through the air or 70 percent of it comes through his legs it's still the same yardage and so they aren't going to get away from what he's done well just because he wants more deep balls right like they'll incorporate some maybe more than they did last year but they're i I don't think they're going to drastically change what he does just because he he wants to be a bigger deep threat right like that you don't want to change who he is as a person because who he is as Mm -hmm. a person right now is pretty darn good yeah they're not going to 
they're not going to run reinvent, reinvent the wheel with him. This is right. just another skill yeah. for his bag, right? Like that's that's really I think what it is. And I would expect to see this another skill next year and another skill. Right. You know what I mean? And just that, and by the end of it, he's got you know. He's, there, is, it, there is no end to it with Amon Ra. Like he, there's always going to be something that he wants right. to get better at. And after his NFL career over, I'm sure whatever he does next is is going to be the exact same thing because he is complacency feels like his biggest enemy of all time. <laughs> uh, but that'll do it. We're going to close out the midweek mailbag there. Uh, we have more podcasts coming on the feed this week, including our final draft series where we're going to be talking about Jameer Gibbs with a Georgia tech writer. Uh, we'll obviously also have our Twitter spaces, assuming the website still works uh, on Saturday. Uh, the first bite will be Thursday. Um, all those will show up on the feed the following day. Uh, but for Eric, I'm Jeremy. Thank you all for listening to the midweek mailbag. We'll be back soon until then it's chaos. Be kind. <laughs>